This episode is brought to you by Serve HQ. Train your ministry volunteers, leaders, and new members online, fast, and easy with Serve HQ. Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey, welcome to Leading Simple. I'm so glad that you're joining us today, and I am so proud to introduce to you one of my closest friends in the world, a mentor of mine, and the first guy that ever gave me a job. His name is Monty Wilkinson, and while you may not know that name, uh, you have certainly been the beneficiary of his influence Uh, because anything that's good in my life is a result of his leadership. And I'm so, so grateful for him and for who he is. Monty pastors a church out in Lexington, Kentucky, and he is the first person that ever hired me, hired me as an intern when I was still in college, and then hired me back the next summer to be an intern. And then following graduating, he hired me on full-time at this church that I served at in Lexington, Kentucky. We worked together for nine years. I moved out to California. He eventually took a church of his own there in Lexington and have stayed close friends ever since. He's just a great guy, and he is going to share great life wisdom with us today. You're not going to forget this episode, and you're going to absolutely love hearing from Monty. I want to thank our friends over at Serve HQ who are sponsoring the program this month. I'm sure everybody has realized that onboarding new people to volunteer in your church is tough tough. It's confusing. It's complicated. It can lead to people slipping through the cracks, and you don't want that. So a clear and simple onboarding process will make sure new people are prepared and motivated. So to do that, you need a good and reliable system. Let me recommend to you Serve HQ. Serve HQ is a simple video training course that helps you equip volunteers and develop leaders. You can create your own training or use their video library. You can even automate next steps to onboard new people. So picture this. You want to train someone to work in children's ministry. Rather than begging them to come out to the church and train them one-on-one or one-on-twenty and hope that they show up, now you can model it, record it, and put it up through ServeHQ and they can watch the training videos whenever they want and in the comfort of their own home. Then when they show up on Sunday, they're trained and ready to roll. ServeHQ.church is where you go to find out more about this. Well, today we get to hear from my buddy, Monty, and I hope you really enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. Here we go. Monty Wilkinson. My brother, my friend, my mentor, the first person to hire me. Thank you. Hey, welcome to Leading Simple. Uh, For our audience that doesn't know you, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, It's always good to get to spend time with you and uh, grateful for our friendship. Um, You know, I've been married for 38 years to my high school sweetheart, my wife, Anne. Yeah. And uh, we have two adult daughters, uh, Bailey and Natalie, both of them uh, married, great son-in-laws, love those guys. Uh, And Bailey, our oldest daughter, she just uh, six weeks ago today at 11.59, she she made us grandparents. 
And so uh, mm. we're grateful for that. And uh, man, I'll tell you, the, this you talk about a new season of life, man. And it is, it is exciting. Uh, so thrilled. Uh, as far as vocationally, I've been at two churches. Both of them are in Lexington, uh, 25 years on the south side of town. And then uh, 15 years ago, I came across the other side to the northeast side of town. And I'm at uh, Northeast Christian. In the last 10 years, I've been the lead minister here. And at the end of this month, Russ, I've finished my 40th year in ministry, which it just seems like yesterday, really truthfully. And I don't feel like, mm. you know, uh, the age that I, I am, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Mm. You know, one of the things that, um, you know, I've always, uh, had in common with you and valued from you was just how you kind of got into ministry and the job that you got because of, weekend internship kind of experiences, summer internships that turned into full-time jobs, uh, which you were at Cincinnati uh, Bible College at the time and uh, made your way down to Lexington. And for those of us on the West Coast that don't know the distance, it's about an hour drive from Cincinnati down to Lexington. So you would come down and work there. And so you knew the benefit of internships. And then you hired me as your intern coming out of Ozark College. Mm -hmm. So you had a lot of things you had to work through in order to uh, bring me on uh, as well. But tell me about just, you know, you had, a, you had a lot of interns and you were an intern. We do a lot of work with residents and interns and all of that. Just tell me the value of that, what you learned during that time and what you learned by leading interns as well. Well, uh, first thing about interns is whether they're, um, you know, wherever they come from, if if they're if there's somebody who's uh, truly interested in, you know, in our in our lane, you know, ministry, and they they're passionate about, you know, learning and and gaining some, you know, kind of behind the curtain insights and things like that. I mean, they're those types of interns are sponges, right? Um, you know, the other thing is that. Um, we always joked, you know, the intern will mow your grass and pick up your dry cleaning, those kinds of things. But the, the thing about it is they get to do life with you. And I think they, you know, they appreciate, you know, this like, hey, I'm, I'm important enough that they ask me to go along, you know, to do this, whatever this is, you know, I'm going to speak over here, or uh, we're going to the hospital, or we're going to just going to lunch, you know, and uh, with with a, another colleague, and why don't you come along with? And you know those kinds of environments. Um, I think more more value happened. You know the conversations that you know you and I had in the front seat of the car while we were driving somewhere, than actually happened in you know telling you how to do a certain ministry you know task or something like that. And mm-hmm. I just you know I'm. I'm people oriented. I'm an extrovert. I know I hear you talk about your, your, your curse of being an introvert. I call it a curse. You, you think it's a great way to hide from life, but I, (laughs) I find, you know, people are energizing for me. And so interns, especially the older I got, the, you know, the more, uh, you know, the more energy I get from, we just, we have an intern here uh, in student ministry. It's a, a young lady and she just got a job 
a full-time job and I saw her today and I was teasing her uh, just about, hey, I saw the guy who's uh, one of the guys who uh, she's going to be working with. And I, I, I said, hey, she is great. You know, she makes a great gumbo and you guys should get her, you know. <laughs> And she was like, you did not say that. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's a lot of fun in that, you know, that interaction. The, and I say fun, you know, life is too short not to enjoy the ride. Right. And hmm. the interaction um, in those moments, I think all the interns that I worked with, certainly you're you were the best. I mean, you were the, hmm. uh, the creme de la creme. You know, mm-hmm. of, thank you. I don't really know what that means, but it, I've heard people. <laughs> so all, all that to be said, Russ, I, young people, you get a chance to influence them. Not that you leave a stamp on them or anything like that, but if it matters, you know, to you, then it could matter to them. And you pass that legacy on, or go on forward. Make it. Well, you make a great point there about just learning along the way. I think about many car rides where we would just talk about life or we debrief about the hospital call we just went on or the, you know, the funeral visitation. Um, I, I, you know, <laughs> one of the first things I remember, um, you know, I just moved to Lexington <clears throat> for the summer and uh, you, you said, well, we got we to gotta run a couple errands. Okay. So we stopped at Kentucky Chocolates. Kentucky which was some candy, candy. company. Yes. Oh, Kentucky yeah. candy. Yeah. yeah. And we could be a sponsor of this program. If you play. Exactly. Card. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you said, I got to go in and pick up some candy for somebody. I said, Oh, is that for your wife? No, it's for somebody I offended. Yeah. And I thought, <laughs> Oh, now that is really <laughs> smart, man. <laughs> I, when you walk in, they go money. Yeah. <laughs> I think they, uh, frequent flyer. I think they had, yeah. Yeah, they had a lot of a lot of candies for you. But it just taught me the value of listen, we laugh a lot, we tease a lot. Right. Every now and then you overstep those bounds, just make it right. Yeah. And and yeah. you were so good at that. You taught me the value of writing thank you cards, handwritten yeah. thank you notes and encouragement notes and I have so many of those uh, from you. So so here you are as an associate pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, you worked in everything from kids ministry to students ministry to young adult ministry to adult discipleship, singles ministry, uh, all all kinds of great stuff you did. And I remember many times, even after I left to come out here to California, I would say, hey, man, you need to go be a a lead guy. And I even hooked you up with a couple of interviews that where people were asking, hey, you know somebody? I do. I know this guy named Monty Wilkinson. He would be amazing. And it never seemed like the right fit for you. And then you go to work at this other church in town as an associate for them. And you kind of didn't put your hat in the ring there. And then you finally did. Mm -hmm. Tell me when you knew it was right. Because we've got people out there that, you know, they're a a vice president. They're a number two in charge. When is the time to get your own program, so to speak, and do your own thing? Yeah. So... um, we came here to Northeast and um, really Ann and I prayed hard about that because what a lot of people may not know is that, you know, we, we were at South and Christian for 25 years. And when we, that, that's a very contemporary, very, you know, forward leaning church. And, and Northeast at the time was, was very traditional in style and model and, even their strategies were 
you know, they had just built a, this massive 2000 seat auditorium. Um, and it was that old field of dreams kind of church building mentality. If you build it, they will come kind of thing. And, and so we did not see ourselves as a fit there, but the more we prayed, the more we, we felt like God was saying, you need to go there. And so I came here and everything I had done before was nothing I was doing when I got here. And I was a discipleship guy, right? And they wanted me to do pastoral care stuff. And I was like, you know, God called me here. I'm going to do whatever. And I felt like that was the thing. And then three years into our, our time here, the guy who brought me in, uh, they they didn't fire him, but they basically, you know, showed him where the door was. And they said he was too progressive. And I'm like, I'm the Southland guy. I mean, uh, I, <laughs> if he was progressive, I'm, I don't even... I don't, so I just started getting my resume together, you know, and it wasn't long after that. So when you, you sent me a, you called me about a church, uh, and said, Hey, you need to check these out. And Russ, we went all the way. I mean, if this was a marathon, we ran the 26 miles with these people and then quit at the, you know, with two tents to go. Uh, but it wasn't, I knew it wasn't right. I knew I wasn't the guy for that, but that set me up, you know, and I'll tell you, I know, this doesn't help a lot of people in the sense of, you know, do these, these six things and then you're ready. Right. Um, you, you asked me, how did I know I was ready or how do I know, you know, that this was for me? Um, I was, I just said no to Wichita and I was at home, uh, praying in, you know, in my, uh, in my study at home. And it, it was a couple of days after the Wichita thing was ended and uh, I was praying and I remember distinctly, you know, God pressing in my heart, you might be the solution to this problem, you know, because I was praying about the church at the time. And hmm. we did we had an interim guy, uh, a, a local retired minister, everybody in central Kentucky loves. Um, but I mean, I, I didn't see myself being that guy. But then when that happened, all of a sudden now I started to see myself that way. Mm -hmm. And so I had an elder in the church. Uh, you know, I just kept praying. Right. And this elder, he uh, stops me one day and he says, hey, do they have a preacher yet? And I said, no, no. As far as I know, we don't have anybody yet. And he said, well, what about you? And I said, well, you know, it's interesting. I said, I was praying about this a couple of months ago. And I told him the whole scenario. And then he, he looks at me and he says, have, have they asked you yet? And I said, no. And he said, well, then they're not interested in you, you know, like, move along. <laughs> but Russ and I, and I, we don't have time. There were so many markers along the way that as we, we kept going forward, you know, um, I had conversations here, conversations there, and they couldn't find anybody because prior, you know, they had in four years, they had let two senior guys go and it was a lot of drama, you know, messy deals. And, uh, and they had 10 million in debt. Mm. And so, you know, I, I remember thinking if you're somebody who has, you know, any, any upside at all, why would you take this? You know, it's, you know, there's trouble, 
there's debt. It's all the things that you you would probably turn and go, I'm not going to do that because of those reasons. Um, but then they one day, um, one of the guys heard me preach who was on the search committee. Now, I had not preached in a year because this the interim guy would always bring people in to preach. Hmm. And so finally, he asked me to preach on July 31st of 2011. And he said, um, you know, if you want to, you can do it. And I, I was desperate because I thought I need to get a good sermon, you know, on tape because I, mm-hmm. I need, you know. <laughs> and so I, I worked on the talk and, and did it. And then one of the search committee guys came up to me and said, um, he goes, have you ever thought about doing that, you know, on a regular basis? And I said, what are you talking about, Bob? And he said, you know, like around here, you could, could you do this every Sunday? And I said, <laughs> you know, they, the committee had, had had my resume and they said they weren't interested. And I said, you know, yeah. and so long story short, uh, they invited me in. We did we did the interviews and, you know, really the stuff I went through with Wichita was great for me, but it, it all started with that moment where I felt like God was saying, you could be the solution to this. For people who know me, they would know $10 million in debt doesn't scare me because I, at the time, I didn't understand a million, let alone yep. 10 million, right? Yep. Now, it's not saying that I'm, I'm, I just don't have, I just didn't, I just never was in enamored by that. Right. And so to say, you know, that I would be scared by it. Yeah. No. You know, um, you, you touched on something there. I think a lot of us kind of wonder about, and that is how, how, what's the delicate balance of pursuing a job and letting them pursue you? You know, there's a, a school of thought that says, if I pursue it heavily, well, then I'm not trusting God. Right. But then the other school of thought says, if I don't pursue it, <clears throat> maybe I'm not showing myself to be up to the challenge or interested whatsoever. How, how, do, you, how do you do that dance? Yeah. Well, I, first of all, I believe that if, you know, God has a plan for your life, I believe that with every fiber in me. He has a purpose that you were designed for. You know, you're part of the body of Christ. And so what is the function that he said, hey, I want I want Rusty Leonard George to do. That's what mm, I want. Arnold thank George. you for dropping that. There knowledge. you go, brother. Yeah. How do how do we uh, <laughs> yeah, I got to I got to mention Fred Craddock and Eugene Peterson before we're done. Too. Uh, That's right. Everyone does. Yes, the, the, the point being is that if God has a purpose for your life, right, then. What you should do is you should say, you should seek that from him. And it's not like an Indiana Jones movie where it's hidden in the desert out there somewhere, right? He's going to want you to know what that is. Now, do I think it's, do I think it's lacks faith to pursue something? If that's the case, I had no faith in, you know, dating my wife because I chased her relentlessly, you know? I met her in the seventh grade, Russ. She didn't know who I was until the eighth grade. You know, that's how, mm. that's how out of my league I was. But when you talk about God's purpose for your life, um, and we talk about a, a vocational ministry position, 
if that's what God has for you, then yeah, I think you should pursue it. And I think you should put your best foot forward. I think, you know, you should, you know, it's not manipulation or those kinds of things. I don't think any of that's valued in the kingdom, but I do think that, you know, if you have skills, they should know what those are. If you have abilities and gifts, they should know what those are. And if they do their due diligence and they pray as well, and that's the position for you, you know, you might, you might do everything correct, but they may not have uh, a sensitivity to what God is saying and they may miss you, you know? Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think you can be discouraged by that. Yeah. Wow. That's good. Now, one of the things I've always admired about you is your um, relentless discipline when it comes to your time with God be it quiet time, devotional time, Bible reading, whatever you call it to be. Right. And I think a lot of pastors kind of chalk that up to, oh yeah, that's my sermon prep time. <laughs> but for you, it's always been something different. It's very personal. It's you in a, in a room, in your, in your home study. Right. Um, what, what are the disciplines you have in place? And are they the same that they've been for the last 50 years, or do you mix it up a little bit? What's, uh, what's that time look like for you? Yeah. Um, so, you know, when I first got in ministry, I didn't do that. I, I, you know, I was just like hit and miss. And the, the one driving element for my time with God was guilt, right? Mm. I would read about these, you know, fathers of the faith who spent three hours, right? in the, in the word and prayer. We had a guy when I, when I first went to South and Christian years ago, he, he would, his son wrote an article of, or a paper for school about it. He said, and it was titled something like the weirdest person I know, my dad. And it, and it, the whole, the whole paper was about how my dad gets up at four thirty every morning to read the Bible and pray. And his dad would spend like two hours in the word and then or, or an hour in the word and two hours in prayer. And I was just like, I, I'm struggling to get 15 minutes in, right? No, I'm, I'm not nearly as mature as, as this guy was, but I, uh, I certainly, you know, struggle. And so I would always feel guilty about it. And then I had a guy tell me one time, he said, if you do something 37 times in a row, it'll become a habit. Hmm. Honestly, I've researched that. I, I, I think he just made it up. I honestly, I don't, <laughs> the number seems to always change yeah, when I hear that stat. Exactly. For me, I said, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm doing it. It was, and it was the summer of 88. And I said, I'm doing it. And I have, it's been almost like a Cal Ripken thing for me. I don't want to miss, you know, hmm. I don't want to miss. Now I, I've been sick and I've had, you know, moments where I've, I've dropped out, but I did that 37 days in a row, and I had a guy, you, you'll remember Bruce Osborne. He was mm-hmm. a young adult leader for us when we were working together, and he came up to me after a Bible study one night, and he said, hey, I just wanted to tell you something. Uh, he said, there's a group of us who've been praying for you to be a better teacher. <laughs> Let that sink in for a moment. <laughs> One of my best leaders has got a prayer group outside of the Bible study to pray that I will be a better teacher, right? I'm going, has it been that bad? He goes, no, no, we just want you to be, you know, to be better. And he said, this is about, this is about three weeks into this, this 37 day uh, run. He says uh, to me, he goes, 
we were meeting the other night to pray and we were all in agreement. There's something different about your teaching. And I remember in my mind's eye kind of just looking to the heavens going, message received, you know. Mm. And, you know, when you want this to be what you're, you know, this isn't to me as so much a vocation as it is this calling. I I don't want to get all, you know, uh, emotional and, you know, all big and high in the sky kind of stuff, you know, like we're better than other people whose jobs are are, you know, just, you know, like a guy said to me one time, he said, I used to be in ministry and now I sell mortgages. You know, I'm like, well, that's, that's a kingdom position. He goes, not in his mind. It wasn't, you know, but Mm. when I think about what we get to do, right. And we, we get to represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the, the kingdom component of, and we're, we're ambassadors of this thing. And God says, hey, this is what I this is what I want you to do. You know, go out and represent me. First uh, John 2, 6, you know, walk as Jesus did. You know, well, that's simple, except it's not, you know, it's challenging. So people watch you and they listen to you and you go at one point you realize I don't have anything to tell these people if if God doesn't say something to me. And so we spend time in his word just going, Lord, what do you want me to tell these people? You know, mm. And that became, I wouldn't say it was, I was desperate in that sense, but um, you know, the older I get, the more it kind of feels that way. Like, Lord, help me know what you want us to say. And then when you do know, like, it's like that last piece of the puzzle snapping in, you're like, yeah, that's it. Right. Mm-hmm. No matter, no matter, you know, when that moment is, it's, it's the first bite of steak, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it's that first time you hold that grandbaby, you know, it's, it's, and so the only way that I can consistently get that is by spending time with the Lord. And yeah, I used to, uh, I spend a lot of time now with, you know, with digital, uh, tools and all that. And, you know, they make it so convenient. Right. I still like the, you know, occasionally to read from one of those old Bibles that I have in my study at home. And, um, but for me, it's just, I want to, I, the first thing I do when I wake up, spend time with the Lord. Um, we're doing a, a, a Bible reading plan here, you know, to, we're trying to emphasizing, emphasize Bible engagement this year. And so, mm. uh, constantly, you know, we got a couple different plans and, and so I'm doing that with the church and whatnot. But th- the other thing, Russ, that I'm trying to do, this is a new thing for me is, um, I used to, you know, read fast and now I'm trying to read slow. Mm. And somebody asked me the other day, what do you think about, you know, where it, it, the, you know, like the, uh, you version will read the, the chapter to you. Right. And I said, I think it's fine. But I, but I found that for me, it reads it too fast. Yeah. I need, I need to stop and I need to highlight stuff. I need to underline it. Um, a lot of times those underlying passages is where a sermon will come from later. Um, Hmm. But those things, when I stop and I, I even think about just 
a word or two in that, then it, then things start to really come alive and don't speed through it. You know? Yeah. There's something about when you do your, uh, Bible reading on you version and you listen to it at two and a half times speed, <laughs> uh, you're like, I think I'm just trying to get this done. Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, I've noticed, um, and I, I love how you brought that up about, you know, you, <clears throat> you have something to say worth saying right. after you've had that, that time with God. And, I feel like there's moments I'm reading and I think this has no application for where I am in my life, for what I'm teaching this weekend, for whatever, but it's like I'm stockpiling the the pantry, you know, and there's going to come that moment and I don't know when it is. And it's usually not in a sermon. It's usually over lunch. It's usually in a drive with my daughter or whatever. And something will be said, and that'll be triggered. And I, I got something in the pantry for that I can pull out yeah. and share with them that was beyond me. Yeah, and you do a great job with that. I noticed just how you'll you can weave real life into the into the text, and the text then speaks into that, right? And you can you can help people see this isn't just a theoretical thing. This is something you actually apply to your life. You do a great job with that. Well, thank you. You probably learned that over your internship. Or well, like I actually did because I had so much uh, Bible college dust all over me as I got out yeah. that you yeah. shook that off. Yeah. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> you and I have laughed about this before, but you know we served together for nine years uh, while I was at Southland with you, and we were both in associate roles. And, you know... Just to be honest, there were many times we would armchair quarterback whatever the senior pastor said or did, right? And we and we worked for two of them. Um, now that I'm a senior pastor, now that you're a senior pastor, <clears throat> I think there are things we go. Oh, I had no idea. Exactly. What were some of the surprises you had in becoming a lead guy? <laughs> Besides ten million dollars in debt. Yeah. <laughs> Well, initially they didn't tell me about the money. They didn't tell me. I had I had asked. I was a, I was an associate here for like a year and a half before I before I cracked the code. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that was a little bit of shock. But uh, yeah, I, I would tell you the first thing uh, that I learned about this whole thing was just how humbling the job can be. You know, mm. uh, and you kind of you kind of trip the wire there a little bit with the idea that um, you don't know. I mean, yeah. it's easy to sit back and go, you know, why didn't Ben Roethlisberger throw to the, the back in the flat? Well, maybe it's because there were three defensive linemen hanging off of his shoulders. You know, he can't, yeah. he can't do it. And I, I, w- the one thing I recognized was it, it's easy to, to miss all the things going on below the waterline in somebody's life, right? Mm-hmm. And then they miss a fastball right down the middle of the plate, right? And um, I, fortunately for me, God's God's provision here for me was I had a couple people around me who, um, you know, they were that offensive guard that when I just got leveled, they would pick me up, right? Hmm. He was the guy that would always the tight end that would always run over and make sure he was the guy giving the quarterback the hand up, you know, to pull him off the ground. And uh, you got to have that. Uh, you got to have that. You got to have a guy who who's going to, you know, have your back in those settings. But for me, it was really humbling because 
uh, one of the big things was uh, how many people come to you for solutions, right? Hmm. Uh, staff people, what should we do about this? And you're like, hey, we hired you to figure that out. And they're like, <laughs> we don't have a clue. And we go, well, then maybe we should find someone else. No, no, we'll figure it out. Right? <laughs> and then and then church people, you know, yep. who come in and go, hey, um, yeah, could I talk to you? And I go, sure. What's it about? And they said, well, it's confidential. So they come in and they go, you know, my marriage is almost over. And I go, when did what's been going on? I said, well, about 15 years ago, you know, I go, so it's been going on for 15 years. Exactly. And you're thinking that we can fix it right now. Now God can, you know, with man, this is impossible. God, all things are possible. So, you know, let's, you know, tighten our belts. Um, I assume you have one now, right? And uh, a <laughs> little inside joke there, right? But um, oh. yeah, you know, we got to, it, it was extremely humbling. I would say the other thing that was probably, and this goes in that category of humbling too, but I learned only when I was a, you know, really truthfully learned the value of this uh, was just how little faith that it took to work uh, in ministry sometimes. Hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say that, Russ. You know, there were times where, you know, working in a large church, and this is not a knock on the large church by any stretch, but um, cause I, you know, some of my best life ministry moments were, were there, but, but I found that later in life, you know, um, I asked a question one time, where's the, what line do we get this money for this, pr this project out of? And the executive guy said to me, he goes, uh, we don't have a line for that. And I go, okay, but so where do we get the money from? He goes, we don't have money for that. And, you know, I was like, well, how do you guys do church here? I mean, I was brand new. I was like, <laughs> how do you do that? And he, and he laughed. He did just what you did. He laughed. The, the point was, we're, we're, we have to trust God, you know, to yeah. figure these things out. And sometimes when you have, you know, you're down to your last hundred dollars and you got three needs, what are you going to do? And I'd never faced that before because we never were at a point where we had three needs and only capacity to pay one, right? Mm -hmm. And and it was true with volunteers too, you know. And now you're sitting there, you're going, we don't have the same the same volunteers. So all of a sudden now, I'm I'm finding myself going, Lord, uh, we need your help. Yeah, you know, we can't do this. Uh, if you don't show up, we can't do this. I had a worship guy that said to me one time, and I I just it just resonated in my soul. He said, you know what, Monty, if God's not in it, I don't want to do it. And I said, mm. yeah, yeah, me too. You know, I wish I could, mm -hmm. right. But he's exactly right. So, but if God's in it, then you know, he's going to pay for it, right? Yeah. He's going to provide the resources you need, the volunteers, the whatever, right? So mm. that's good. Okay. So our audience is wondering, what is the inside joke about the belt? Go ahead and tell them. <laughs> well, uh, when we interviewed uh, Rusty for his internship, I was in a uh, I was in a conference room around a table with I think there were like three or four elders and deacons. This was back in the day where the youth committee had, was made up of all elders and deacons, right? And mm -hmm. uh, I was interviewing. Uh, Russ to be the young adults uh, intern. And of course, we're on the phone. This is before Zoom and all that kind of thing. And so the dark ages is, you know, mm -hmm. 
and uh, he had sent a picture. And, you, you know, those of you that know uh, Leading Simple, you've been here since day one, you know this man is a slave to fashion. I mean, he, <laughs> whether it's the hairstyle, he's, he's sporting the beard right now, looking dapper and sharp and the whole thing. I see the glasses from time to time, you know, and, and just, the, <laughs> just the, the wardrobe is spectacular. Not the case in college. Uh, we asked him to send a picture and he sent a picture and he's wearing uh, denim jeans and a denim shirt. And one of my one of my committee members said, uh, hey, Russ, can I ask you a question? And Russ says, uh, sure. And he says, do you own a belt? And uh, <laughs> is Russ didn't have a belt on in the picture. And we've we've joked about the belt ever since. Right. So I didn't want to break up the denim. Yeah. Ensemble. Well, you had a lot of it was uh, like Levi Strauss just vomited, and uh, yeah, and you were there, yeah, right? I was, so I was being sponsored by them. <laughs> oh, those are good days. I was on a payphone in the dorm. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah. Well, yeah, out, yeah whatever it takes. Yeah. Hey, let me interrupt this podcast for just a second. Every church leader knows that having trained and engaged volunteers is essential to successfully accomplishing your mission. But if you're like most leaders, you also know how tricky it can be to onboard and equip people for your team. What if there was a resource that made it easier? Let me recommend ServeHQ to you. ServeHQ is simple video training courses that help you equip volunteers and develop leaders. You can create your own training or use their video library. You can even automate next steps to onboard new people. Check it out at servehq.church. Now, back to our conversation. Okay, so here here you are at this church, and you were an associate for a while, right. and now you're kind of hand selected by the elders to be the lead guy. Well, this is the this is difficult because now, you know, people that were your teammates are now people that report to you. Um, how do you go to start leading the people that you were once side by side with? Now you're in front of. Yeah, you kind of make it sound like I all these damaged relationships around me and they, uh, I did go through a process, you know, it wasn't like they just one day rung my phone and said, Hey, come in. You are now coronated lead minister. Mm -hmm. And nobody, you know, like I told you before, it wasn't like a lot of people were, you know, breaking down the door to get this job. And so, um, but I did, I had been here for three years, um, and had built a lot of capital, uh, relational capital with, uh, with, you know, this team of people. And so, and, and, you know, they, we'd been a year and a half without a lead guy. And so mm. truthfully, I think, you know, they were thrilled that they just had somebody. Right. And then we started moving forward and, uh, you know, it was, it was actually relatively, uh, I wouldn't say seamless, but it was a pretty easy transition considering because, you know, it was like one day on December 31st, I was an associate. And then on December, on January 1st, I walked in and I was, you know, the lead guy. And so, you know, I just moved my books from one office to another and uh, we started. I mean, <laughs> I would like to say that there was this, uh, you know, cathartic moment where everyone said, oh, this is a this is a fab, fabulous move, right? But it, it never <laughs> ha that never happened. But, uh, but you know, 
getting getting the opportunity and then people rallying around that and they did that um you know we we went through some staff change uh quite a bit of staff change early on and um you know some of that was you know change is either good or bad but it's always hard for somebody right and typically if you're mm-hmm. if you're making a change it's hard for that person and so we went through a lot of that and then uh you know so some of those people if they weren't fans of mine they really weren't you know mm-hmm yeah. If they're not your fan, you getting a position of power doesn't automatically sway them in your direction, yeah. does it? Yeah. Now there are, you know, every, every organization has its sycophants, you know, who, uh, Hey, sir, it's great to see you. You're looking good in that, uh, captain jersey, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I know you hear that yeah. a lot. I know you hear that a lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I know who they are. <laughs> yes. Uh, Okay, so uh, I want to talk just one more question about the, the job you inherited because yeah. it, it did have some toxicity you had to manage. Uh, you had an elder board that was kind of in over their skis and probably a little bit too hands-on. Right. You had, um, you know, they just run off this one guy. They were still cleaning up from a moral failure from years prior and a massive amount of debt that you had to take on uh, with kind of a dwindling population uh, what'd you do right? What'd you do wrong? What would you do differently or the same when it came to kind of riding the ship? Well, during that year and a half, there was no lead guy. Um, there was a group that was praying. Hmm. Uh, they were upset over the previous guy being forced out. And, uh, I started going to some of those prayer meetings. Um, and they, they were visceral. I mean, like people, not, not mad, but just, aching you know and Mm. um i felt like you know when someone is is near death in the hospital and you go to the chapel and you hear people praying for them right it's that kind of guttural kind of prayer it just hurts to pray it and they were praying hard like that for god to you know to to turn this thing around and uh, Mm -hmm. They had, they had put into place, Russ, this is just the providence of God. They'd put in, they'd gone to a Bob Russell elder, uh, seminar. Okay. And he had said, if you don't have a rotation on your elder board, you know, you're just doing it wrong. I mean, that's not what he said exactly, but that is what our guys took away. Like we got to have a rotation. And so the, when I took over this job, the, the last group of guys that had just finished their uh, year of service. And so they rotated off. Okay. And that was the, I mean, that was the beginning of a transition in leadership here because I had a young chairman, he was in his early thirties and he said, Hmm. he goes, it's time to, you know, kind of stock the cupboard with some fresh, you know, fresh leadership. And so we were, we were doing that. And there was a little bit of, uh, you know, guys saying, Hey, why aren't you bringing us back? And we're like, Hey, it's a new day kind of thing. Now I wasn't saying any of that, you know, but hmm. the, the current elders were saying, Hey, we need to, we need to make change. So we did that. Right. Hmm. I think the one thing we did well though, I mean, that was done for me, that kind of thing. Um, I think the one thing we did well was we, we kept praying 
and you know, God, if you're going to, you know, turn this around, you turn it around. Right. Mm -hmm. And that care that carried all the way through to meetings with the bank. And, you know, we started making changes from a traditional service to, to say, Hey, we had the second youngest, um, area code in Lexington or zip code. I'm sorry, zip code in this greater Lexington area of all the areas around our zip code, the 40509, it was the second youngest. The youngest was right around UK's campus. Mm -hmm. So we said, we got all these millennials, young families. We have a facility that is the best facility for children in the city. I mean, if you got bass in your pond, you should be fishing for bass, right? Mm. You shouldn't. Be, you shouldn't be fishing for anything else. You should just go after that. And I'm not saying that we we didn't care about other people who were outside of those ranges, but there was just. And at the time, you know, Barna and and Lifeway were saying about 10 percent of millennials are believers. So, I mean, Jesus said the fields are, you know, they're ready for harvest. Let's go get them, right? Mm. And I had people pushing back on that, you know. Like I, I, well, we could we could spend two hours talking about that season, but we prayed hard during during the beginning, before during the beginning, and then even into the days of you know transition and change. Mm. And uh, what did I what would I do different? I would ask for help more. Mm. I, I was. I, I don't know that I would say I was afraid to ask for help, but I just thought, hey, I don't want to bother anybody, right? And that was the one thing as an associate, you know, you just stayed in your lane, right? And you don't, I mean, you're not like trying, you can't ask the guy over here in this other department to do this for you because it's your, it's your job. It's what they pay you to do. And I, it took me a while to go, hey, these people are part of the team, right? that I'm supposed to lead. Mm -hmm. So it, I, I just was, I took on a lot at, at that point. Um, I would, I would probably ask more questions too. There were a lot of things that happened that I didn't know about that. If I just ask a few questions, I think that's the one thing you go to lunch, sit down with somebody, ask them a couple questions about their, their life, and then ask them the questions you want to know about what they're doing ministry wise or job wise. You know, if you're the point leader, man, I wish I'd have done more of that. And then probably the last thing was, I, I wish I would have listened just in prayer more. I was reading fast and praying fast at that point. Hmm. And uh, I wish I'd slowed down a little bit, but yeah. Hmm. It's hard because in those moments you think time is of the essence. I got to fix this quick. Yeah. Let's just get to it. I'll get back to the slow, prayerful, devotional, monastic life later. But right now we got problems to solve. Exactly. Put the uh, labyrinth on hold, my friend. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So, Monty, I told you this before, but um, you know I'll say it again now on record since we're recording this. I mean, I I truly am where I am today because of you, and it's not just because you gave me a job, even though I had a impeccable uh, uh, design uh, suave status. But um, I, I think about all the little things I learned from you, um, 
and I started jotting down some of these things, and I and I wanted you just to kind of comment on them. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll kind of tee you up, and you just talk about what you think about that and why that matters to you. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I learned from you was just the work-home balance. I mean, you you were not an absentee father. You were there uh, with your kids. Uh, you went home uh, as often as you could, and I've just seen you work that balance. Tell me about that a little bit. Uh, well, first of all, um, my family... I, you know, from almost the beginning, they were my, they were my favorite people. I mean, I love people Russ, and you know that I love hanging out. I love, you know, a, a, I love a good meal. I love, uh, good stories. Um, I think that's part of why you and I clicked is that, you know, there was always laughter. That was always, you know, a great, a great thing for me, but the people I loved the most were, you know, and Bailey and Natalie and Mm -hmm. any chance I got, you know, I, I loved my job. I, I loved every, almost every season that I had. Now there were times where I was in certain roles where I wasn't as fulfilling, but you know, I always found God's favor in that, but you know, to get to go home and to hang out with them, um, you know, meant it, it, it was just part, that was, that was, that was fuel for me. Right. And I didn't want to miss stuff either. You know, we know guys that, I mean, they just, Hmm. you know, 80 hour weeks, they're selling it out, selling out for the Lord. Right. And in the end, you know, what they, what they miss, what they miss their kids. Right. Mm -hmm. And their, and their wife. And I didn't want to do that Uh, because I realized too, that if I lose them, okay, lose my marriage or my kids don't respect me or something, I, I'm losing something in ministry. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm losing because why? Why would anybody come to talk to me about marriage if my wife hates me? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and you know, I, I I'm just so thankful for for those relations. I just loved it. I loved them, and I wanted it. So, you know, I remember having when I first got in ministry, having to tell my supervisor. I said, "Listen, I gotta I gotta go home." You know, I, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't do the 70 hour week like you do. And, uh, you know, we, we had some hard conversations along the way early on to, to help me to see, Hey, <laughs> this is your home. You know, we're all here waiting on you. Yeah. Hello. 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 Yeah. I remember the, the <laughs> pastor that, that we had, uh, the founding pastor of Southland Wayne Smith. Right. And he was a, he was a, just a workaholic. Um, you know, he'd work 120 hours a week, whatever. Right. He called you up on a Saturday and he asked you something and, and he, I think he asked where you were or whatever. He said it was your day off. You remember this? Yeah. And you said, and he said to you, Jesus never took a day off. <laughs> and your response was, and his ministry lasted three years. I thought that was hilarious. And he thought that was hilarious. Now, no disrespect to the Son of God, but yeah, it was so funny. Uh, But yet, there's a tremendous uh, amount of wisdom in that. Okay, uh, obviously, for those who have uh, been listening, you know that we like to laugh. But you've taught me the value of humor in messages, that there is a place for that. And there is value to that, rather than just to declare 
rightly the Word of God, there is a place for peppering it with reality and humor. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, so, to me, you know, there are people come to come to a service, right? They come to hear you speak. Maybe they're listening to you on a podcast. Maybe they're listening to you on on demand or YouTube or something like that. And they they come in. They've got all preconceived notions about you or about church in general or just Christians or something like that. And what I what I learned early on was that if people laughed, it was disarming. Mm -hmm. Like they would relax, like they would exhale, right? And so, I'm you know, your sermon isn't isn't a stand up routine. But if you can, if there's a moment where you can tell a story that's humorous mm -hmm. and people can kind of let down, I've, I, I'll tell you, I think uh, a lot of times people will remember a joke before they will remember the text, right? Uh, somebody comes up and says, hey, I saw you uh, a couple of months ago and I, I don't remember what the sermon was about, but you told that story about, you know, and then you go, you know, <laughs> and uh I told uh, Sunday, I was, we were talking about, uh, you know, we're in this series talking about when the fight calls and we're talking about how we need to guard our heart, Proverbs 4.23. And, and then King Solomon talks about, you know, keeping your eyes on the path, right? And so I told the story about walking into the pole at the <laughs> stadium. And, uh, you know, the people love that, um, you know. I was given directions. Russ and I had gone up there with a couple other guys to see a ball game at Cincinnati Reds game. And uh, Russ had never been to uh, Cincinnati before. So I was showing him all these landmarks on the hills surrounding, uh, you know, Riverfront Stadium. And there was a pole right there. And I turned just in time and I walked right into it. And, and all the, everybody around that was walking in just died laughing. And some lady with their she was just laughing her head off. And I said, what's so funny? And she goes, you just walked into a pool. <laughs> and then you said to me, you go, I saw that coming. And I said, well, <laughs> say something. He goes, and you said, do you remember? You go, because I thought it would be hilarious. And it was, right? But here it is. It's like, it's 30 years later. And I tell that story in a moment. And I, I told it was I told a lot shorter than I just did here, but the uh, the point was, you know, you got to stay focused, right? So you have a point, but you you illustrate it in a humorous way. People laugh, and and they kind of reengage because sometimes people, you know, but something like that they reengage. So, and Wayne Smith was oh. the best. You know that? I mean, he was. He, he had he had uh, incredible incredible timing on. You know, telling a story, telling a joke. He was more canned jokes than you and I are, but he did. But he'd also read a text, and uh, you know, somebody would have a, a goofy name, and he'd make fun of the name, or so and so was in prison. And I remember one time <laughs> he read this passage and said he tried. To, he just butchered the name. Yeah. Was in prison, yeah. and they ought to be with a name like that. That yeah. was his comment. Yeah. You know, yeah. so you remember he quoted Francis of Assisi. Yeah, Francis and, of Assisi, yeah, Mary yeah. Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, yeah. the Italian lady. Yeah. That's right. Picasso. <laughs> he uh, he butchered a lot of things. Okay. Uh, we went to a lot of lunches with people, and I was always amazed how 
you were very disarming at lunch, but you seem to have a mental progression. And you talked about this a little bit already, a little bit of personal, and then you get into some ministry. And sometimes we'd sit down with, right. you know, this young up and coming uh, business guy that we needed him to step up and be a leader in the church. And that was the ask you were going to get to, but you never led with that. <laughs> and I kind of learned that there's a little bit of an art to the lunch. You know, you're going to be interrupted by the server. Uh, there's going to be certain things you need to address first. Uh, how are you going to end it so you can both leave on time? Those kind of things. What, what's right. the mile markers in your mind for a great pastoral lunch? Uh, for me, uh, I always want to engage the server, right? Because um, I think people, especially the person you're having lunch with, they're going to watch how you treat that person. If you treat them well, uh, then the Good. There's a good possibility you're going to treat them well. Yeah. And, and we're just talking about respect. We're not talking about, you know, hey, I want to put your kid through college, you know, that kind of thing, yeah. right? It's just, I mean, I, I, I'm, a, I'm an associate at the time. I can't afford anything, right? <laughs> and so, um, but again, food is another one of those things. It's very disarming. So I could have a meeting with somebody, but if you go to lunch and there's awkward moments, you got food to break it up, right? Mm. Especially if you're asking them, you know, you're you're calling them. I remember I had uh, dinner with a guy a uh, number of years ago, and I was asking him to be a leader. We had these community groups, and I wanted him to be a community group leader. And this guy was one of those guys that I would call whenever we had a kind of a financial push and, and would see what he wanted to do to help us, right? And, mm -hmm. and he was a very generous guy. And so... Uh, we got to that point where, you know, we talked and small talk and ordered and, you know, food came, we're starting to eat. Now, now he says, okay, why are we have, why do we have this meat? Right. And I started to talk to him and he, he pulled out his checkbook mm. and I said, uh, I go, Hey, uh, Danny, I'm not, I'm not asking for money. He goes, you're not. And I said, no, I, what I want you to do is for the next uh, nine months, if you just invest your life and let me, tell you what I'm talking about. And he was terrified by that. <laughs> he, he, let, he led a business and everything, but he didn't feel like he was spiritually capable of doing it. I said, this is what I see in you, right? And, and I think, you know, you have a meal. Uh, I remember everybody loves Raymond. You know, his mom taught um, uh, Ray's wife, you know, give him a, a good heavy meal, you know, and then he'll He'll be happy, you know, and I think that's there's something true about that. You know, when you eat you and it's a good meal, you feel good and you kind of you you can relax. It's very again, food's very disarming and then have some, you know, deep conversations, have hard conversations sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I remember some of those, you know, being nervous at and I was glad I had something in front of me to kind of preoccupy myself with and but that guy took he he, he said you know what i'm going to do it i'll do it for nine months and then at the end of nine months he said i did my nine months and it's like i've done my stint in juliet and i'm now yep. getting out right and uh but yeah i you can ask you can ask people a lot uh you can you can have really deep conversations and i'm not just talking about moving them to do something ministry wise for you or something, but just to challenge them to, you know, to be all that God called them to be, whatever that is, you know, like, Hey, you're going to be a dad. I just want you to know, I think you're going to be a great dad. 
but it's going to take sacrifice, you know, yeah. those kinds of things. I got two meetings this afternoon uh, when we're done here and uh, with two guys, you know, and I'll, it, they'll both be coffees and it just, it'll be that. It'll be just, you know, sharpen the saw, Stephen Covey said, you know, with them. Mm. And food does, it makes it a, a real nice environment for that to happen. So if nothing else, you know, you ate, right? Yeah. I remember one of our uh, young adults that showed up ended up being one of the servers at uh, the restaurant that you would frequent. And he said, yeah, we had a nickname for you, 8T Monty, because you would have eight iced teas over the course of your time there. I thought, wow, that's that's a good amount of time. Okay, so here's one of my favorites. Uh, You never value people more than when you ask their opinion. And I would watch you do this with people that were on the lowest level of the org chart, but you would talk them up in the hallway or mm-hmm. there by the mailbox, and you would ask them questions about high-level issues that I thought, well, that's interesting that you're sharing that or, or finding out what they think about that. And you just told me, hey, they feel valued when you hear their opinion. And every now and then you get some kind of gem from it. So right. what's your thought process there? Yeah. Treat people the way you want to be treated. I don't care if you're talking about the CEO or you're talking about the custodian, the guy that parks cars, um, yeah. just treat people that way. Uh, and you know, one of the things, especially, uh, during COVID, you know, people are so desperate for, you know, just human connection, right. Mm-hmm. That, um, it, even a little bit of recognition or value, you know, you just ask somebody, Hey, how's your day going? And genuinely listen. And the way that you can, you know, authentically listen or empathetically listen is just ask them a couple questions about what they said. You go, well, it's been good. And I go, well, why has it been good? Tell me what's been great about it. You know, if it's so good, you know, cause mine's not been good. You know? <laughs> so I want to talk to somebody who's had a good day. Right. And they go, well, yeah, you know, my kid didn't wet the bed last night. I go, oh, great. That's way more than I, and you know, it's funny in that moment and you can laugh about those things. And Listen, my life is always, I say always, that's kind of a stretch, but I'd say 98% of the time you're blessed by people that you engage like that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is that you said you might get a gem. I never went into those conversations with that, but I always, you know, I'm always leaving conversations with stuff like, man, I can't wait to tell this story. You know, this is hilarious, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I had a, I asked our staff the other day to, uh, to tell us just, I said, share a story about your mom. Mother's Day's coming up. We're not going to use any of these stories. I just want us to value our moms in here and we can talk about our moms. Right. And so, um, <laughs> the guys, you know, he talked about his mom and it was just, I can't tell it cause I'll, he may listen to the podcast, so I'm not going to tell, but it was so funny. And I kept thinking, I can't wait to tell this story. I mean, it wasn't confidential. He would, but I, I don't want to mess it up, but it was funny, you know, and mm. people, people just, they're experts about what their life consists of. So ask them about their life. Mm-hmm. And it may be something as simple as they drive a tow truck and that's all they do, but mm-hmm. they may be really good at that. And you guess what? You may need a tow truck one day. And, you know, so tell me, and, you know, the value, the value is not 
in the advice or the story or anything like that. The value is, is that you recognize them and you spent time with them. Yeah. And uh, not that my life makes anybody's life better. I just want them to know that, that they matter, you know? Yeah. It is the human connection. Yeah. All right. So one time I was talking to you about, I, I've got to teach this message. I'm looking for a text. What am I going to say? And you said to me, I find the apostle Paul is always relevant. I remember you had that painting in your office of Paul in prison, and I just knew what a hero the Apostle Paul was to you, and I think there is some relevance to that. Why would you say that? Seriously, I have to explain this to you? <laughs> for our listeners. <laughs> for, uh, for graduates of uh, Cincinnati. Yes, well, those of us who were beyond the interlinear of Greek study, you know. Yeah, I, I would say that... Uh, <laughs> the Apostle Paul, you know, Paul obviously Paul was relevant, right, in his day. And he wrote all of these books in the New Testament. And if you don't think he was relevant for his day, I mean, he got what he wrote got added to the canon, and a lot of it got added to the canon. So it, there's significance in that, right? Mm. But beyond that, I mean, beyond just the scholarly, scholarly side of this thing, uh, the Apostle Paul resonated with me. I mean, I would read a verse and I would go, I could see, I, I could see how I could live that, you know? I remember 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You will not be tempted beyond what you can withstand, and God always provides a means of escape. And I remember thinking, the game is rigged in our favor. Right? How, how, I mean, you talk about relevant. Yeah. You just go around and, and preach 1 Corinthians 10 13. You know, hey, you got a problem with sin? Let me tell you what the, what is going on below the waterline on this thing. You just need to know that. So, um, yeah, I, you, here's the other thing about Paul that I think is, is so significant. We talk about transformation a lot, right? We talk about people going from death to life or darkness to light and and how God can change a life. This guy went from, he was on the devil's team and he has an encounter with God on the road to Damascus. And before it's over with, he's on God's team. Russ, that is like a guy entering the transfer portal from Duke and going to North Carolina. You got me, right? <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, unheard it, of. It, it, it's a miracle. Yep. That's a miracle. Right. And he's not, it's not that he's not, I mean, this guy was a zealot, you know, to pursue the church. I mean, he was a Jew among Jews and now all of a sudden he's a kingdom of God guy. Mm. And you're like going, what causes that to happen? I mean, if you can't get energized about a life like that, right? Yeah. And I, I say he was relevant. I just, I, I think he would be, I think he would be a factor today if he lived here today. I mean, I do too. The, just the individual he was. So, yeah, I mean, we, we joke about some of that stuff, but the truth is, you know, um, I don't know where my, my early days in young adult ministry would have been without uh, the Apostle Paul and Warren Wearsby. You know, I was, <laughs> uh, uh, he was oh, no kidding. Okay. Last one. This is probably my favorite. Yes, sir. Sarcasm is simply being a humility broker. Right. Uh, you and I share a love 
and unfortunately a gift when it comes to this. Um, Tell me the value of this that you've seen, and maybe it's also the curse. Well, it is a curse. That's why I was going to Old Kentucky Chocolates to get candy, (laughs) because I had uh, taken it too far, probably. Um, When I was in junior high, I was in a Sunday school class, and the guy was talking about spiritual gifts. And God is my witness, Russ. I He was saying, a gift is something that the Holy Spirit equips you to be good at. You don't have to work at it. You're just good at it. And I thought, it's sarcasm. I didn't even know what the word was, but I knew this, this, you know, this thing we call sarcasm. I knew that I was really good at it. And uh, it got me in a lot of trouble over the course of time. But sometimes, sometimes today, now I... You learned this before I did, but um, able to put a little bit of a of a guard on that, you know, not to mm. to allow it to to come out in its in an appropriate environment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I I have found that just a little bit of sarcasm can help a person who has a problem with pride to find uh, maybe a healthier level. You know, they. They can experience just a little bit of humility. Yes. And uh, yes. And I remember one day thinking, I think you know, if I were to put a words to it, I think I'm a humility broker. I think <laughs> part of what I'm good at, you know. Uh, and you know, you um, when you when you have friends that that joke and tease, that's that you know you have. You do have that, but you you do have to be wise to the fact you can. Some people can be hurt by that, and uh, and I think that's what you did about it did so well. I remember my wife told me one time uh, that you're just hurtful when you're sarcastic, and I said, "Well, Monty's not," and she said, "That's because Monty laughs after he says it." <laughs> and I thought that is a good point. It comes off a little bit stealth or are you serious when yeah. you say that when I've said it because I was just trying to be David Letterman and you were laughing after you said your comments so trust me my wife does not feel the same way uh, <laughs> I get uh, the, the the most powerful nonverbal that you can get in a marriage is an eye roll mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. and I get them where they go up the top of Everest and down the other side of Everest mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. Yep. I always ask her what's on the ceiling. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. brother, this yeah. has been fantastic. Uh, yeah. If nothing else, I've enjoyed the the trip down memory lane. And uh, I just, I love you. And I'm so grateful for you and your friendship and encouragement over the last, goodness, 30 years. And uh, excited about what God's doing in your life there in Kentucky. And not always excited about your Wildcats, but hey, Love college basketball. That's right. Well, listen, let me say this. I am so proud of you. I mean, I, you know, I'm your biggest fan. I'm praying for you. I prayed for you for Easter. Um, Thank you. I'm so excited before we talked off, off uh, mic beforehand to hear how great Easter was for, for real life. Uh, can't tell you how excited I am every time you uh, have a new book. Uh, I always tell people, I say, yeah, I know this guy. You know, and uh, just just love you like my own brother, and so so excited for what God's doing in your life. Do not disappoint me. <laughs> I will come out there. I will come out there, and I'm 
I'm not physically able to to lay a to lay a whooping on you now, but I will bring someone with me. Okay, that uh, just do not do not let the kingdom of God down. Thanks, man. Yeah, you, you used to always tell me before I'd go out and preach. Hey, um, don't throw up on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Really appreciated that encouragement, brother. Coaching. Have you ever vomited on yourself? Okay. I have not. I have not. So yeah, I, and I got that coaching for free. So yeah. All right, brother. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, Monty, I cannot say thank you enough for your influence in my life. I'm so, so grateful for you and your friendship. Even though you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I love you anyway. Uh, next week we'll be back with brand new content as we listen to. Another baseball talent scout who is going to make some predictions for us about the upcoming uh, Major League Baseball playoffs. And I think you're really going to find his uh, insight about leadership and developing leaders and spotting talent to be really helpful for you wherever you serve, whether it's in the church, uh, in the marketplace, uh, leading at home, wherever you lead. We all have influence. He's going to help us with that. Thanks again to everybody who shares these podcasts and those of you that leave reviews. Please go and do that today wherever you get your podcasts. That helps us get the word out. And we're already seeing an uptick in downloads and notices from people and subscriptions because of the number of reviews you guys left over the summer. So please keep that going. It helps us get the word out and helps make leading simple even possible. So until next week, keep it simple. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.